fingers, tendrils, and now tongues? Man, I bet Omega Red makes all the ladies Omega spread. Welcome to episode 48 of the Mutant Musings Podcast. It's the middle of May 2019, so we'll be discussing some new comics and some classic comics. I'm your host, Jonathan, and with me as always is my Russian with three tongues, Patty. Here's your friendly reminder that you can leave us a comment on this episode's webpage on geekade.com. Leave us ratings and reviews on iTunes or anywhere else you find our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at mutant underscore musings underscore podcast and follow us on Twitter at mutant musings. We need your attention and love. Otherwise, we wither and die like a plant that your aunt gave you for Easter that you put in the closet and forgot about because literally who the fuck gives someone a plant as a gift on Easter? For real, Aunt Karen, who the fuck does that? Speaking of fuck, do you love bad language? Then this is the podcast for you. Last episode, we turned fuck off from an insult to a sexual competition involving some of your favorite heroes. But to get real for a minute, we are going to be talking about sensitive subject matter a little bit later in the episode, so along with the silly explicit content warning I usually give, I want to give a serious one just in case. So there you go. I try to be nice. Yeah, you're nice. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. How you doing, Patty? I'm good. Are you? Yeah, we got... How good are you? We got Cinnabons. Vegan Cinnabons. Vegan Cinnabons. Vegan Cinnabons. Cinnabonbons. Cinnabons. Yeah. Cena Grace. <laughs> we got vegan Cena Grace? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if he is vegan. I hope so. Yeah? I would like him more. You should You should do this live. You should tweet at him right now. <laughs> at Cena Grace. Are you vegan? <laughs> Or do well, you eat bonbons? A lot of... Do you like chocolate-covered bonbons, Cena Grace? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lot of LGBT men are vegetarian, at least. At least in my experience. Don't generalize. No, I'm just saying, like, my my gay and bi friends that I had that were male were all vegetarians. Yeah, because it's us straight guys that love the meat. Yeah, and As that's a why your guy, cum tastes bad. <laughs> <laughs> do you not do you not see what I was trying to do there? Oh, oh, oh. Now I get it. <laughs> it's like it's like uh fish tacos or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like. If you could make your cum taste like anything, what would it be? Uh that should not be a question posed <laughs> to me. Okay, listen. That's a question for so what the fuck? <laughs> You want a listener, a listener poll to 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 answer what my cum should taste like? No, no, no. What the listeners, what they want their own cum to taste okay, like? Okay, because I was gonna say, not that they probably ingest their own. You know what? Let's can we, let's can stop we not, kink shaming. All right, so let's 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 stop, and I'll take care of all that later. So how were your? How was the Cinnabon, Patty? How was the Cinnabon? It was good. I got uh, a cookie one. It had like cookie dough on it, and uh, some chocolate chips, and uh, like some kind of s'mores. Uh, what's it called? Spread on it. Yeah, s'more spread. Yeah, yeah some s'mores spread. Spread, spread yeah, yeah. it. Spread, spread it. it. Spread it some more. <laughs> Spread it some more. How, how was, do you like that, Patty? Spread how it some was, more. How was your Cinnabons? It was... My Cinnabon was good. It was covered in peanut butter. You had two Cinnabons. Yeah, Is I had. Is that correct? I had one that had cream cheese Ooh. and uh, Oreo, and that one was really fucking good. I, I was at the register, and I wasn't prepared, so I panicked. So I just picked... I just picked cream cheese and Oreos, and it wound up being the perfect combination. But I knew going in that I was going to get the peanut butter on top of peanut butter. I had the peanut butter frosting with the peanut butter cup topping, and it was fucking amazing. 
and and I regretted not getting a third one after it was already too late because there was a very long line because this this place is apparently featured on Shark Tank. They have locations in Canada and in the U.S., but I think the closest one to us was like five hours away. And then they decided to open one in New Jersey in some random town I've never heard of for no reason instead of like <laughs> New York City. But uh, that's neither here nor there. It's called Cineholic if you'd like to see if they have a location near you. They are all vegan. They don't taste different than regular <laughs> Cinnabons, but you can get extra stuff on it like fresh fruit. We're not we're not being paid. But you can't you can't put meat on it. You can't put meat on you, it. You can't I mean you can put your meat on it. <laughs> if you want to take your own meat, you know, and put your own meat on on a Cinnabon, then that's fine. <laughs> that sounds disgusting. Thanks for your thanks for your support. It's uh, like an American pie when he fucks the pie. Yeah. That he, was the American pie. That was the American pie. But that was how long ago was that? It was nineteen ninety nine. We we I'd like to think that America has progressed a little bit in the past twenty years. So we are no longer putting our oh meat God, inside I can't apple pie. That was twenty years. We ago. are putting our meat now in vegan cinnabons. That's right. That is going to be the American pie reboot. We <laughs> are going to get cineholics to never mind. That's 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 enough about meat. Uh, we should talk about some comics. And the first one is Prisoner X number three. And so this was interesting. So we get this little bit of a flashback to Gabby in the Age of X-Men world still, but, like, before she was in the prison. And they're, like, she's stealing stuff from a museum alongside X-23, which I thought was very interesting. And you know it's it's this X-23 because she got that awful haircut. Uh, so that's how you know. So that explains the haircut. They had, to, the haircut? they had to put the haircut in here in the Age of X-Men. They had to give her a shitty haircut. Why? Because... Of this flashback, so we know that it's in yes. Age of X-Men. Listen, and, and in fact, the entirety of Age of X-Men was built around this one flashback. And this Sagabi, one haircut. Yeah, and this one haircut. The entirety of Age of X-Men came from that haircut. That's what this I thought. There had to be some explanation for it. This whole mad with too much power repressive society came all from that fucking haircut. You it's, figured out the Age of X-Men. It's pretty awful. So. Yeah. Well, you figured out the Age of X-Men. You solved the fucking it's puzzle. It's like the, the Captain you Marvel. You are the Wheel of Fortune. It's, it's like the Captain Marvel haircut that they gave her, the fucking Karen. No, that one's Can better. Can I speak to the manager? That one, I like that one better no. than this one. Yes. Yes. Okay, well, it works a little bit better on her than it does on X-23, and I don't know why. <laughs> Whatever. All right, but so so Gabby is really scary. You know, like she's been a bitch, honestly, the past couple of issues, as long as we've known her in this world, but she was really scary here. You know, like, screaming at that fucking girl who she blamed on, like, you know, the, the flashbacks that she had in her head and popping the claws and, like, all bloody and shit. And, yeah, that was, like, really fucked up. She's so angry at these glimpses of, like, happy memories. Because you even see there was one real one, you know, from, like, before Age of X-Man, where she's sitting at, like, the breakfast table and Jonathan is there and Laura's there with the long hair so she had a couple of flashbacks, and it was it was really weird, but she was so angry. She's flipping the fuck out. But what I think is interesting, though, is she just seems to be inherently bad, and she's just, like, running with it. Like, I just, I was thinking about this. Like, Iceman and Jubilee, you know, and the extremists, you can see how they're sort of, like, not all in, even they're doing, even though they're doing bad stuff, but, like, Gabby is, like, all in, just being a terrible person. And I just thought that that was interesting, because it's, like, the polar opposite of how she really is. Yeah, but you can say the same thing about the blob. I mean, the blob is not 
at all has never been like a sympathetic character and in this world he's being all good and he's like totally embracing that as you know his personality so i think you know we see both sides of the coin did you just compare gabby to the blob yeah speaking of gabby so so hopefully the day that this comes out we are gonna go see tom taylor at midtown comics in new york city uh for those of you who don't know he is australian uh from australia and that is far away so he doesn't come here very often but he's gonna be here and i think patty should take out that old Gabby cosplay that she did a long time ago in one of Gabby's early looks and cosplay Gabby because I think he will fucking love that. And I can just go as myself because my name's Jonathan. That's true. So so it was something that I noticed, and it was kind of weird. It was maybe a small detail. I don't even know if it means anything, but the entire time Gabby was flipping out and yelling and threatening this girl, you didn't see any of the outside. Like, it was just walls, and it was a little bit darker, but then as soon as Beast talks to her and starts to calm her down, you can see the outside of this place. You can see trees. It gets lighter. It gets a little brighter. And I thought that was really interesting. Like, again, this could mean nothing, but, like, when she's slipping out, it's like we're all stuck in there with her. And then when Beast calms her down and, like, the mood lightens a little bit, like, literally, it's like a brighter background. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm stupid, but I thought that that was something. No. Sometimes writers try throwing these uh, symbolism things out there that I always completely miss. But then there's sometimes where it's like, oh, the door was red. Oh, well, what was the what was the writer's intention when they made the door red? So, I don't know if it was one of those moments or it was actually supposed to be symbolism. It's hot. It's, it's hot. hot. It's, it's a hot, hot door. It's don't a hot touch, door. Don't touch the door. <laughs> they, they taught us that. If if your don't house, touch the door. If if it's on fire, if your house is on fire, don't touch the door. Don't touch the door because the door is gonna be hot. Right. If your house is on fire, first right. thing first thing you do, don't, don't touch, touch the, the door. door. Right. Yeah, and then you stop, trap, and roll, <laughs> and then you just you just continuously roll around in your room until your house burns down. Whatever you do while you're on the ground rolling, make sure you don't roll in that fucking door because that's basically the end of you. Exactly. Yeah, basically that's how it goes. All right. So so Danny is talking to Beast, and so Beast says whenever he tries to contemplate anything more than his next meal, his mind gets flooded with rage. And I thought that was interesting, and I bet you that same thing happened to Gabby. But Beast says, except when I'm around you, to Danny, that, like, that's when that's when he's calm. That's when I guess he can think about more than his next meal. I thought that was weird, because we still don't know what's going on with Danny and how she's in this world or what's going I mean, I have a theory. It's probably a dumb theory, but a game I have theory. one. I, <laughs> I don't want to get sued. Let's not do that. I don't. How, why? Why is Danny the one to 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 be around and and calm him down? So I don't know. No, I don't know. I thought that that was really weird. And you know, there is the whole mystery still with why is Danny in both worlds? The best of both worlds. <laughs> and, I can sing too. <laughs> And, you know, I figured if it was anybody, it would have been Gabby because he, like, punched the shit out of Bishop for talking to Gabby. So, I don't know. That was weird. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. He's 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 angry. He he acknowledges that, except when he's around Danny. So, I, that's, that's really weird, but I thought that was really interesting. But some of my favorite parts of this issue, I could not stop just turning the page. It's like, oh my god, yes, give me more, is when... Fucking Polaris gets out of the straitjacket and Danny helps her unlock the collar. And it was just so 
fucking crazy. She's just going nuts, tearing apart, like, all these fucking guards. There's this huge splash page with, like, all these, you know, memories that she has, whether they're from the real world or whether they're from before her time in prison in the age of X-Man, but it was just so amazing. I could not wait. I'm like, here's where it's going to turn. She's going to fucking break out of there. And Yep, and then the next no. page, no, none of that happened. Yeah, none of it happened. None of them remember anything that happened except for Danny. She's like, what the fuck? Gabby doesn't know what she's talking about when she's talking about her injuries on Gabby's hand because her healing factor isn't working. Polaris is, you know, like, doesn't know what's going on. And we find out at the very end of the issue that it's Legion. Legion is in the cell right next to Bishop. It's like, why the fuck are you doing this? But we were shown before Age of X-Men started that Nate is stronger than Legion. And so obviously that laugh all along has been legion and he's the one he's the one fucking just fucking with everybody's heads in here and so what i started to think was like what if danny this danny in age of x-man is a projection from legion like one of his personalities like loose and defiant because we've seen that sort of thing before where like he's got the nicer personalities and then he's got like the really like angry rebellious like homicidal personalities what if this is that what if he's in control, like, 99%, but, like, this one little percent is out there, and it's Danny. I don't know. That's No, that's actually a really good idea, and I did not think of that at all. I'm creative. I, you are creative. Nah. <laughs> I don't know. I think that would be really interesting. I didn't know Legion was going to be in this. I thought that was great. And if he's just, like, controlling everybody and, you know, like, resetting everything... So, like, he can take, like, part of X-Man's world, and instead of X-Man having to, like, you know, constantly erase people's memories or, like, reset them, kind of, like, this is Legion's territory, and Legion can take care of all of that stuff. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I'm guessing is, is going on. Now, unfortunately, and I don't think I brought this up with you when I saw it, because I, because I know you typically have less of a chance of seeing spoilers than I do, Right, because I am not very active on social media. You are all over Facebook. I'm all over my personal Facebook. A living (laughs) shitpost account on Facebook, yeah. That's that's all you do. Yeah, I don't I don't (laughs) like uh, Instagram as much. Twitter is like a little bit better, but I still prefer Tumblr and Facebook a lot. People like you there, though. They like you. No, but so I saw this. I saw this elicit for, I think it's uh, Prisoner X number five has Legion on the cover. Because I think it, maybe the last time we talked about Prisoner X, I was like, oh, maybe this is the Shadow King. You know, and then I oh, saw, yeah. yeah, and then I saw the solicit. Well, and I'm also, like, eh, I, don't, I don't look at solicits or like any comic book news websites like you do because I don't want to be spoiled. I mean, Are you calling I me still, spoiled? I still, okay. Are you calling me spoiled? <laughs> yes. I still have not seen any of the spider-man trailers and if you try to (laughs) at me about anything that's mentioned in the spider-man trailers i've already gotten shit spoiled for me but seriously like the fucking amount of self-control you have to not look at these things is beyond me no it pisses me off to look at them i i have like i don't understand how people actually just go out and watch trailers but what i'm saying is like but that's that's amazing like i wish (laughs) i wish i had that kind of attitude i feel like i have a pretty good amount of self-control but when it comes to like trailers and this kind of stuff like i I can't i need to be the first one fucking watching it so so yeah so more power to you yeah and some people came at me on facebook about that and were like 
Well, trailers are, you know, ads, and how else are they going to get people to talk about it? Bitch, it's Spider-Man. Fucking everybody's going to go see it. You know, I don't need to know what the plot is. I don't need to know who the villain is. I don't care if there's MJ or Gwen or Black Cat or whatever. You know, you shut your fucking face. I'm going to see the Spider-Man. If if MJ is in it, fantastic. If Black Cat is in it, great. You know, like... Those are those are good things, but I don't want to fucking know things. about it. <laughs> That's my rant. Yeah, good. So, so regardless of of knowing that it was Legion, I like the build up in this issue, right up to the reveal that it was Legion. I'm curious to see how everybody in the prison is going to react once they a either stop him or b Bishop convinces him to help and get everybody the fuck out of there. I am happy that. Bishop Bishop has been great in the series the past two issues, but I'm glad it took a little bit of a break and we got to see more of the other characters in the prison. I think uh, German Peralta is good, and I think it was really effective in this issue. There were a few close-ups of Nate's face, and there was one where it was clearly, you know, Jesus Nate. And then the next one was... It was clearly partially Legion. And it was terrifying. Like, it's a terrifying fucking face that he was making. And the, the sequence with Polaris was fucking amazing. I just could not get enough of that. Oh my god, I I saw that that scene with Polaris, and I was just like, oh my god, I want to cosplay her so bad. But then, do it. I always get... Uh, okay, so Show I always... green, do it. I know. I always get... It's easy. Oh no, I'm sorry, wait. Apparently it's not easy being green. According to Kermit. <laughs> I just feel like I'm gonna get stupid comments by nerds like, oh, why do you need someone else to push the wheelchair? You're fucking Polaris. And then I'm gonna have to be like, I'm gonna fuck your mom. <laughs> yeah, that that is the appropriate response. When somebody asks, why are you in a wheelchair? Your response should be, I'm gonna fuck your mom. Right. That's exactly what it should be. Okay. Okay. All okay. Right? All right. That's yeah. the deal. That's that's the deal. All right. All right. Good. Good. All right. So moving on. Uh, next comic we're talking about is Apocalypse and the Extracts number three. I felt that this issue was definitely a lot better than what we've been getting. This really has been kind of a disappointment so far, but this issue in particular stepped it up a bit. Salvador Espin. I was just saying this to Cody, the the mutant menace, uh, recently that like. He's not quite as good as he once was, but at the beginning of this book, there was an image of a dead sheep and a dead guy, and those were particularly creepy and scary. And, and you I didn't even warn me about the dead sheep. It would have been nice to have known that there were dead sheep. Yeah, so so there are times where where I'll be reading a comic, and I'm like, you need to read this, and I'm like, nope, wait, because there's a dead animal and i'm like nah i don't i don't there want was to that one that. batman book that you're like you really need to read this but there's a dead dog this guy just kills a dog just yeah. like in cold blood and but i'm see? like no thanks so see <laughs> see but i feel like that story won a fucking award i feel like tom uh tom king won an award for that story that was a while ago though no dead dog stories if you're a writer don't <laughs> make any stories with dogs dying you don't need to do that it happened in jojo's and he was like, oh, my dog, you're always going to be my friend. And then Dio just fucking kills the dog. And I'm like, well, I hate you. <laughs> this is the worst show. Well, so you can't ever read Animosity. Because uh, literally many animals die in I Animosity. Don't... Okay, I'm not That's reading That's a great it. series. It's starting to go in a direction that I'm like, nah, about. But so far it has been fucking amazing. 
All right, so Dazzler and Unveil decide they're just going to throw down with Omega Red. You know, he killed he killed some people. No talking and fuck, some sheep. Fuck fuck talking. He he. They just want to go in and fight him just immediately. They I, I thought that that was kind of silly. I feel like if their whole mission was to go talk to this guy to potentially recruit him, you know that. Even if he kills some people, and I'm not excusing, and, and a sheep, I'm not excusing murder. All right? I just want to put that out sheep here. Sheep murder. Mutant Musings does not condone people murder or sheep murder. Or dog murder. Or dog murder. <laughs> but but if, but if they should they should have been trying to talk to him first. They're, they're, the first contact is, you know, Dazzler's got her fingers up against his head, and she's going to pull the little, the little Dazzler blam right, right <laughs> in his head. I don't fucking know what else to call it. But uh, yeah, so I thought that was kind of silly. He looks pretty dope, except it's weird that those are clearly... And they say, he says it later, that those are tongues instead of tendrils. So he's got wrist tongues. I love it. <laughs> I didn't I didn't even realize that. You love I, anime. They look, of they course. look the same. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Um, and speaking of hands... Uh, I boy, Speaking of hands. I boy don't have any. Speaking of getting handsy, somebody ain't getting handsy, and his name is I boy. I hope he gets his hands back. Or maybe he could be like Hellion and have the floaty hands. Yeah, but he's not telekinetic. I know. So somebody's gonna. He's, somebody's gonna have to be telekinetic for him. And there are probably Whatever. eyes on his hands too. That there are off. eyes on his hands. That's so sad. It is sad, and uh, you know Genesis was trying to fix him. He said that. You know, his dad gave him some of his whatever kind of power and he should be able to help because his dad has, you know, cured paraplegics before or whatever. So his dad's kind of, I guess his dad's kind of God and he's like Jesus or, yeah, yeah. I guess that, I guess that works. Um, <laughs> so then, you know, when Genesis is trying to help him, he's getting these flashbacks of um, Apocalypse in the real world. Yes. And Trevor is talking to him about why he doesn't like him. And he, Trevor was basically saying like, oh, well, you know, all the rest of us have had to fight oppression and we've had to we've had to like fight for this right. And like, you know, we've had to grow up with these, you know, ideals. You you just had to be born and like you were kind of free. And I mean, like, while we still have a fight, like that was never a fight that you had to have. Yeah. To like escape the X-Men or escape whatever to try and get to this group. Like you were just born into it. And so it's not like... Trevor really hates him. It's kind of just more like resentment Resents, yeah, over, exactly. uh, you know, Evan being born with like a silver privileged. spoon. Yeah. yeah, he was privileged in, in that way. They had to fight the oppression and, and uh, you know, Genesis didn't. And, and but the thing is, is like I really liked this conversation because we were talking about the characterization of Genesis and how it was kind of shitty before and how the rest of them were, were like talking about how they didn't really like Evan. So I kind of really appreciated this this scene where the two of them were together and they were kind of talking it out. And it was also really interesting too because I, I I was saying this probably the in the when we were talked about the first issue is what's going to happen when apocalypse you know and Sabaner starts having flashbacks. Yeah, I was thinking that too. And now Genesis is having them, and that's really interesting because he might doubt apocalypse he might doubt this man who who saved him please. well he said he is and he feels bad about it you know that he might not be worthy because he does have these doubts about his dad 
And that's, it's, see, so that's like a metaphor for, I see that as, like you said, the God and Jesus sort of uh, comparison. I feel like that's a metaphor because, I mean, I feel like Dennis is saying that, like, you know, I'm not worthy of his faith in me. You know, I just, like, you like you compared it to God and Jesus, and I feel like that's sort of the, the metaphor here. And I thought that that was really interesting. Also, the colors in this book were fantastic. I mean, just like any time that Unveil has been drawn... It's just, it's beautiful. So the colors in this, and this is Israel Silva as a colorist, and they, they in every panel, they pop. The colors are great. They really pop and, and look great. But yeah, absolutely. Unveil, it's, it's fucking gorgeous. I know nothing about art. If you have ever seen anything that I've drawn, which Patty has, I've drawn her little cards before, but it's not, it's more like the, the message, you know, than it is the artistic talents. Trust me. I don't know how people do these things, but those colors are fucking amazing, and especially with, with Unveil, they really pop. Also, I love how Dazzler makes a hammer. She, yes. she makes a light hammer going after him. Yeah, that's awesome. It, it is fucking they awesome. They need to do that in the regular books. They do. They do. Um, but then they, they cut away to Shadowcat. Well, first they cut they cut away to Colossus, right? He's going to Pete's art gallery because he, you know, he's an artist, but Shadowcat is waiting for him. And they have this brief, awkward conversation, and then Apocalypse shows up, and Colossus tries to talk to him. And that surprised the shit out of me, because when we see him in Marvelous X-Men talking about Apocalypse, it's just anger. Yeah. It's just anger, pounding shit, wanting to beat this guy, but then he comes face-to-face with somebody on his team, this woman who he's obsessed with, and seems to remember from a different time. But now, now he can actually try to punch Apocalypse, and no, he tries to talk to him. But Apocalypse fucking punches him. It's it's just it was crazy. This surprised the shit out of me. How angry Apocalypse got, and was just hammering him literally like across the fucking room. Yeah, no, it was weird, and also the painting that was on the wall that Shadowcat is looking at is just like a hand phasing through the darkness or whatever. And she's like, that's me. And he doesn't answer her. But when, you know, Apocalypse is just beating the shit out of Peter and he's just like, I just want to talk. And I was like, you know, this is supposed to be the lovey-dovey hippie guy. You know, like, why is his first response violence? I mean, Colossus wasn't threatening Shadowcat in any way. I just thought that was really stupid. And Apocalypse kind of just, like, dragged her out of there and said, like, you can't trust anybody other than me. And, like, you didn't do this of your own volition, basically, that you still have, like, programming from the X-Men or something in you. So she doesn't say anything else. And after they disappear, he was like, wait, I just wanted to hold you. Yeah, so I had no idea what what he was, what Tim Seeley was going to do with Apocalypse in this book. But it really came off as creepy and mansplainy. And, like, taking a fucking hostage. You know what I mean? Like, rapey, in a way. Yeah. It really was. And it was really weird how, you know, this guy is all about, like, free love. But then he's like, no, we can't talk to somebody else. You can't talk to somebody else. You're wrong. You have to come with me. And so it was really creepy. And now it's fine because they're going to have to get back to normal somehow. Apocalypse isn't going to come out of Age of X-Man like, on the other side of it, and be a fucking hero. He's got to start going back to, like, the old version of himself somehow. But Genesis feels that Dazzler and Unveil are in danger, and he turns into 
Captain America Apocalypse <laughs> to save the day. And now that was real cute the first time I looked at it, but then the second time I looked at it, I'm like, how does Genesis know who Captain America is? If he was hatched in the world where mutants were already the only thing, how did he hear about or see Captain America? Or is this just a coincidence? Because, you know, the A's are kind of big for, like, Apocalypse, so... But it's, clearly this was modeled after Captain America. No, it was... It was Maybe I'm splitting hairs, I don't know. It was clearly Captain America, yeah. and that wasn't even something that I had thought of before. I mean, Apocalypse does have, like, that giant A yeah. on his costume, but I don't know. I, I didn't even think of that. If that was supposed to be Captain America, yeah. maybe it was something in some of the flashbacks that he was getting from maybe. Apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I might just be splitting hairs, but that's something that I thought about when I was laying in bed trying to get to sleep one I night kind recently. Of, I kind of want to ask the artist like, if that was supposed to be Captain America. Do it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so again, I liked this issue uh, a lot more than I liked the past two. As trying to make it like a, an analogy, kind of of um, you know, like you have to, like you have to talk to your oppressors because that's kind of what the X Men are. Yes. And I mean, like I wouldn't want to talk to any of most of the male politicians in this country who are trying to do stuff to limit my rights yes. as a woman and as a disabled person. Yeah, there's a lot of people that I wouldn't just talk to. I'd want to just, you know, hit them in the face with a hammer and throw them across the room. Um, <laughs> so now that you said that, I completely understand where Apocalypse is coming from. I don't like the fact that he was saying, you know, this wasn't your own free will. You didn't want to come here. Exactly. That was the part that was fucked up. But talking to your oppressors, now nah, fuck that. <laughs> just throw them across the room. <laughs> All right, so next comic we're talking about is Champions number five. And so I had one huge problem with this book, and I want to get it out there right away. All right. Because I don't want to keep coming back to it, so I'm just going to try to get it all out now. Everything is happening in Uncanny X-Men that's happening right now. Same time Champions number five is happening. Scott is missing an eye. Scott can't really use his powers, can barely use them when he actually tries to use them. It fucking hurts. His head might explode. In this issue, he was going full force optic blast. And fucking somebody dropped the ball. I don't expect Jim Zub, the writer of this issue, to be keeping up and reading every X-Men comic. It'd be nice if he did, but that's not his... But it's not just X-Men. He would also have to keep up with Miss Marvel... With uh, right. whatever Miles' Spider-Man book is called now. So it's the editor's job to catch something like this. Right. And and, and the editors really dropped the ball on this one. As mu- I loved, I love seeing Scott with them cutting And we love loose. Jim's up. Yeah, and he's, he's great, he's great. No, I, I kind of just saw that when he, when he was there, uh, like on the cover or whatever... He was, you know, wearing his, like, old visor. It didn't look like he was missing an eye or anything. So... No, but I'm going to try not to come back to this every few seconds, but it's just, it's it's irking the shit out of me. But other than that, this was a great issue, and I love this series. I love Champions. Um, I love the last volume. I love this volume so far. Uh, The first arc was really fucking dark and sad. Yes. And it kind of picks up with that here. Just a little bit, though. Like, we see, you know, Miles with the dead girl. Her name is Farida. Her mom, you know, but, like, really the focus is on what's going on with, with Miss Marvel 
in the midst of War of the Realms, right? All the fucking, you know, Dark Elves and these fucking demons and tearing the cities apart and shit and, like, like that. And, like, half of their original team is gone. Yeah, Miss Marvel is stressed because, like, these her teammates that she knows and has been close to, they're, they're not around. A lot of them have left or off doing whatever. Even Dust joining. She's like, I don't even know this girl. Like, you know, we know and love Dust, but Miss Marvel doesn't. But then, um... Pinpoint and Power Man run into Scott and Alex, and it turns out that Miss Marvel needs help in Australia, so Scott goes. And he yells to me, my champions, as he does the big fucking optic blast. Like, how do you how did you do that? But whatever. It was it was great. Him showing up completely boosts the team's morale. Like fucking Miss Marvel is just so happy that he's there. She literally calls him an inspiration. And, like, I want to get in there and fucking give him a hug. And, like, you know, it helps her get her confidence back as a team leader. So in the middle of this huge fucking battle in Australia, she's, like, yelling orders to the team. And they're, like, taking out all the enemies. And it's fucking great. And what's even better is after it's over. And she can go up to him and be like, oh, you don't know me, but I knew a younger version of you. And he's like, I know exactly who you are. We fought villains and played paintball and watched movies. And then you flip to the next page and she's like crying and hugs him and it's so sweet. My heart fucking melted. It was just, you know, fun for the whole family. This was just a heartwarming Hallmark moment. Seriously. Put this on the inside of a card and sell it. I'd fucking buy it. Uh, I did buy it. I bought this issue. It's sitting next to me. I love it. I love it so fucking much. There, This is just so pure. It was so good. And then, you know, Scott vouches for dust. And Kamala's like, well, fine. If they trust you, then then I trust you. And then on the next page, there's even bigger eye beams. You know, it's fucking, it's fucking great. But and uh, when Scott eventually goes back, where Alex and uh, there were Madrox, Madrox were there. You know, they were just like, thanks for for leaving us or whatever. You know, you just left your team. And he's like, no, I went to my team. Yeah, I went to my... Yeah, and... oh, so sweet. The whole thing is like when you're doubting yourself, you just... You have friends by your side. Scott Summers is going to show up if you're doubting yourself. You can... What? What? How come he's never showed up for me? I doubt myself on a daily basis. Where's my Scott Summers? Yeah, I, she can, you know, ignore her fears or fight through the fears and do what needs to be done. She literally fought monsters. We can do together what I can't do alone. You know, it was just... I don't know. It was it was such a beautiful issue. It was, you know, a little sappy, obviously, but I absolutely loved it because it's Scott Summers, and Scott Summers is a beautiful man, and the only thing Scott Summers has ever done wrong in his life was punch Pyro and knock him unconscious, because that was mean. And yeah, so so it was great. It was great. The fucking the art was pretty good, but the action, and there was a lot of action, was amazing. Those build-up panels to right before they hug were amazing, and I just... I love everything about this except for the editors dropping the ball. Yeah, no, I agree. And like on a team book like this or like Avengers or whatever, like the writer can't possibly be expected to read like all five Spider-Man books that are out at a time and Black Panther and Thor and Daredevil and whatever, whoever the fuck is on the team. (laughs) And, you know, it's the same thing with this because most of these characters do have their own series. 
I mean, uh, Wasp has her series now, you know. Miles. Yeah, Miles. Miss Marvel. Uh, Riri, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, and then there's some of the, like, the more minor characters. Like, there was, you know, Pinpoint, Power Man, but, but yeah, no, and, and I, I absolutely agree. Like, you can't, that's what, you know, that's one of the reasons why you have editors. So. And how would they know about his eye bandage, but not that he couldn't use his powers? Like, that doesn't make sense. I don't know. I mean, again, I don't know either, but that was the editor's job. I understand that these things happen. You know, I mean, they're all human. They're going to drop the ball. I just feel like this was such a big issue. Like, how could you, how could everybody have missed this? Like, honestly. So that, that's my gripe. Uh, all right. So last new comic we're talking about is Uncanny X-Men number 17. And to my surprise, I open it and we are addressing what happened to Wolf Spain. We're not going to just go right to the next issue and forget what happens like we did with Strong Guy. And so when when Jamie got Logan the police report for what happened, I'm like, please, I want to know what happened. Like, I hope we actually find out what happened to her in this book. And then, you know, Wolverine fucking strolls through the fucking little prison and threatens Dark Beast for being a creep. And what I noticed was, you know... The Madroxes, along with Madrox Warlock, are just sitting there, and so... They're playing strip poker. Yeah, but, okay, and so fine. That's a safe, that's a safe way of doing it, you know? I mean, if I'm nervous who I'm going to play strip poker with, I'm going to play it with myself. That's true. Because it ain't nothing I haven't seen before, you know what I mean? Right. Exactly. All right, so, so, but, like, yeah, a couple issues ago, the fucking Warlock Madrox was like, you know, kill me. But now he's just sitting here playing strip poker. Why? I mean, that's kind of like my Monday and Tuesday. What the fuck? You know, Monday (laughs) I'm just like, kill me, I want to die. And then Tuesday I'm just playing strip poker. Who are you playing strip poker with? Myself. Oh. (laughs) Send pics. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, so, fine. So, Logan went down to to where they're keeping the prisoners to take Quan in for a little job. And I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. And Havoc tries to stop them, and he's got his Spider-Man keychain. That was the cutest thing. I love that. Well, because they probably don't make a Havoc one. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. How many, how many subscribers did we just lose for that comment? Well, I'm just saying. Have you ever seen a Havoc keychain? <laughs> Damn. You can go to Home Depot. This is true. You can go to Home Depot and get a Batman key, and I think they also have a Spider-Man key. They don't have anybody. Oh, they have a Superman key, too. They don't have Havoc. If they don't have Wonder Woman, they're not going to have Havoc. (laughs) Okay, fine. All right, so then, you know, so then we we get the funeral. By the way, I love Ileana's dress. Oh, it was like super goth lowly. I thought that was so weird because she's never done that before. But she looks cute. She did look cute. I really liked her earrings, actually. Yeah, I want to make those. Little, the pointy things that she had yeah. on her head. Yeah, I yeah. want those. It was adorable. I liked how also that they were cutting back and forth from what Logan was doing with Quanin and what was going on with the funeral. Even though, you know, honestly, like reading all those names, like when I first looked at that, I'm like, oh, that's deep. And then it just keeps going, and I'm like, this wasn't really necessary for, for Wolfsbane. But anyway, so they, uh, Logan and Quanin get to this house, they get into the room and go, which ones? And Quanin is like, those four, not him. And Logan is like, Merry Christmas, bub, you get to leave. And he goes, what is? And Logan just tells him to run. 
And then when they're actually in the room with these four fucking dude bros sitting around, you know, playing whatever fucking video game they're playing, Logan says... Minecraft. Logan says, ugh, I can't. I can't with that game. I can't. I tried. I tried that game. It's so ugly. Like, six years ago, I want to say, because my little brother was into it at the time. I tried. I can't. I can't deal with it. I don't understand. I mean, again, and this comes back to opinions. If it makes you happy, great. Your eyesight sucks, but <laughs> but great for you. I mean, you know, I liked blocks when I was five. Um, all right, I'm not. I'm not. Whatever. So Logan wants to see what actually happened. So fine. So she, so Rain is just sitting in the park, minding her business, and these fucking guys just you know are walking by. One of them clearly finds her attractive and, like, says something. And she's like, you know, I have to be going. And he doesn't want her to leave. He actually, like, tries to stop her. Like, physically stop her. And this whole time, she's trying to be civil. And then she says, get out of my way. I said, no. And then she yells that. And she, like, transforms a little bit. And then he fucking throws her down. And they start stomping her. And he's like... She's a fucking mutant. Is that what you want, freak? You want to trap normal guys, huh? But she cuts him and then apologizes. And what I can't believe, though, is as I'm looking at all this, like, are you kidding me? Is Logan gets a few lines that just excuse the whole thing. Like, that's supposed to be how we, the reader, accept why she's dead. He's like... You know, she didn't want to fight back anymore. I've seen this too many damn times. Somebody just trying to be normal. There's something like that. And, like, the few lines of dialogue that he gets are just... And we're supposed to just buy. But, like, Logan's face right after seeing... Like, right after seeing that vision of what happened to Wolfsbane, this artist, Carlos Gomez, did a great job. This expression on Logan's face was just so full of fucking rage. And he looked terrifying. And these guys were, like, fucking pissing themselves. And Logan brought weapons so they'd fight back and he'd lose his shit. And, but I'm, like, looking at this and I'm, like, she wouldn't change. She wouldn't fucking defend herself. And then one shows up and we don't get to see everything that happened. I hope he killed everybody is there, but we don't get to see it. Yeah, he just shows back up at the house with his suit, like, torn, torn covered in holes and bloodstains and stuff. And I'm just like, so we kill them or not? Like, hello? Like, are we going to get an answer? Because I really hope that these four motherfuckers are dead. Yeah. And then Scott's all pissed and he's like, oh, we needed you there. I need you to get out of here. And like, you know, nobody asked you to do that. And he's like, I did what nobody else could do. And I'm like, well, this is stupid. Yeah, they were just like, somebody could have got like, somebody could have got between them earlier than, than what actually happened. And I understand why they were like bitching at each other because they're sad they're angry it's uh, emotions are running high but you know they just start going at each other until finally juggernaut steps in and out of the like all the other x-men that are there somebody should have fucking done something he's juggernaut's the voice of reason and then all of a sudden nobody remembers who the fuck emma is and I literally typed in all caps when I was reading through this the first time in my notes. They don't remember Emma. Fuck you. But then then my thought is maybe she wanted it that way. Maybe she wanted them all to forget. 
Maybe. I didn't even think of that. I was just like, what the fuck happened? Why do none of them remember who Emma is except for Juggernaut? Everybody remembers Emma Frost. Nobody who has ever come across Emma Frost in their life has forgotten Emma Frost. So I'm I'm excited for that. But so so here's the thing. So when I first was reading through this, I I I obviously I had a problem with how Wolfsbane just didn't want to fight back. Absolutely. And just accepted her death. But the before that even happens, I'm thinking like this is, you know, this is like a parallel to what happens to women in real life, how guys don't want to take no for an yep. answer and just keep badgering women and chasing them down like why are you being so mean? Why are you being such a bitch? Why don't you want to want to talk to me? And it's like, it's not, it, it's not her obligation to engage you the way you want. You know, like if you don't like it, too bad. Keep going about your business and whatever the fuck. And she will do the same thing. It's not for you to demand that somebody engage you the way that you want. And but of course this happens, and then women get beat over it, and then women get killed over it. But more than that, what I cannot believe that I glossed over, because I recognized the word there at the time, but I, I don't know, maybe what, what came after it, how her dying and then them snapping back to, to reality just kind of made me just lose it. It was that, was that phrase, you out here to trap normal guys. And, and obviously, others caught that and have expressed their opinions about that, and... This issue, it seems, upset a lot of people, and rightfully so, because there are a, a few different reasons why one person could and maybe even should be upset about this, but what I really liked seeing was the different perspectives. Now, I'm sure that there, and I've seen it, there are people who literally hate Matthew Rosenberg writing this book for this kind of stuff that he's doing to some of these characters and something so real like this without any sort of warning and and while my feeling toward him isn't quite that that deep and that angry i understand where others are coming from and i like being able to see these other perspectives the next the day after i read this on twitter um this writer nola offered a really great perspective and i listened to i it might have been nola that suggested it or it might have been somebody else saying that there was an episode of jay and miles explain the x-men um, that had some, you know, great content about, you know, this sort of topic too, being trans. Because that's the whole thing. That's where that word comes from, and that's where this this correlation comes to. It's, you know, the trans panic defense. Um, it's It's very scary, because some asshole who is hitting on somebody realizes that person is trans, and it's like, this defense somehow makes it okay like oh my my heterosexuality was threatened so that should help give me a pass to beat this person who is just just literally living his or her life and okay so i have this anecdote about that so i was going to grooming school to be a dog groomer there was this guy in the class that started before me who I was a little friendly with. I was like 18. He was like in his 30s somewhere. It wasn't like 
you know, a weird thing or anything. He was just like a a macho butch guy who like was like really like a meathead kind of dumbass. So I would I would walk home with him because he had to walk in the same direction as me. And I don't know how we got onto the subject or how it was approached or anything, but he said that if he got hit on by a trans woman and he found out, he was like, well, that's a dude and gay guys have AIDS. Like he said, like 99% of gay guys have AIDS, which is not a statistic. (laughs) And that this quote unquote man was hitting on him to give him AIDS and that's attempted murder and he could kill them in defense. And I was like, I am literally not ever talking to you again. Yeah. You know, walk on the other side of the street because I am not saying a word to you anymore because you're a fucking piece of shit. And I can't believe that I heard an actual human person, adult, say shit like that. It really got my blood boiling. And this is like before I had actually met a trans person. Like I had friends on the internet, but it just really pissed me off because like, how could you say that about a person regardless of, you know, their gender identity or their orientation or anything? Yeah. Like, even if you don't get it, like, I don't get polyamory. That's, <laughs> I'm not going around talking shit about polyamorous people, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. if that's who you are, then, then great. Go, go do that. Like, this is a human rights issue. You know what I mean? There are people who think like that. And that's what this book mirrored because that's what happened. Now, some of the upset that I, I have seen is, one, that Wolfsbane was basically fridged in order to... And, and, you know, I mean, that sort of has its own inference there, fridging. You know, this was to advance the male's plot. And that's not incorrect. Even what happened with Blindfold. And somebody we were talking to on Instagram brought that up too, like Blindfold, Loa, Wolfsbane, and I'm like... Uh, Loa didn't even, that death didn't even serve any purpose. It was just like, we're killing another female character. I'm not saying that Matthew Rosenberg is sexist, but there have been some very unfortunate choices. Another complaint that I've seen, like you're going to mirror something that happens to, that potentially happens to a trans person in real life. Where is the trans representation in... Never mind the X-Men, although, yeah. Where's the trans representation in comic books, period? It's few and far between, if any. I feel like you told me about a character, didn't you, once? Long time ago? I could be I could be completely out of my mind. There was one in Batgirl. There was one There's in Batgirl? a trans woman in Batgirl, yeah. And I feel like there might be a trans person in Lumberjanes. Yes, you're right. You're right. I remember okay. that. I remember that. Okay, yeah. So how are you going to, how are you going to, like, talk about, like, this sort of oppression when you're not having that person represented? And I 100% get that. And that's why, you know, I honestly like seeing these different perspectives because I can't imagine that, you know? Like, I, I, I can't. I'm very privileged. And I'm not just saying, you know, like, like the neighborhood I live in, just who I am, the way, the way I'm wired. I'm privileged that way. And there are people out in the world who, you know, just... Because they exist and they're trying to exist a way that this is who you are. Your life is threatened. And it's hard for me. You have my empathy, but it's hard for me to imagine that. And that's why 
You know, I love the different perspectives from people. I think the more diversity that we have and the more voices that are heard, the better things are, the more fucking understanding we have. And, you know, it might have just been Rosenberg's ignorance. I don't know. I'm not going to excuse the guy. I'm not going to try to excuse him. But he did say uh, on, on Twitter, I just want to say that I am listening to all the criticism and taking it in. I want to let other voices lead the conversation here. With that said, I do want to apologize to people hurt by our story. That was never, ever our intention. So I'm sure you guys have seen all of the uh, solicits for like teams that are going to be working on books that are coming out and stuff and all of the names that are coming out. Okay, so the last time I looked, there were more titles that Al Ewing was on than there were women as writers or artists. artists. There were, I think, nine women out of 95 creators. (laughs) Okay, that's just for women. Okay, like less than 10%, we make up 50% of the population, yeah. give or take. And and that's not, you know, even covering like the black population, the LGBT population, you know, like, do we have any trans writers or artists? I don't think so. Because there are trans writers and artists out there. There are. And they should be, and- they should, if that this is the story they wanted to tell, they should have brought a trans writer in for this or at least consulted with somebody. Because again, that's about different perspectives. You know, that's about how somebody how somebody different from you and your perspective is is living. And again, I feel like the more diversity we have, the more understanding there is, the better understanding there is. Yeah, and like I don't want to see some abled person writing like a disabled person's story. Like that's not your story to tell, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's that's kind of how I feel about this too. They should have you know, like they have like guest writers or whatever. And I know that he only has a few issues left, but I feel like that was really the time to bring in a guest writer. If that's the story you want to tell or again, or, or talk to somebody or talk to somebody, talk to somebody consult with somebody. So, you know, I mean, we, we ranted for a little while now, <laughs> but honestly, this is all from a place of, of love. I, I, again, I recognize my privilege. I yeah. Have- and obviously neither of us can relate to, the trans struggle both being cis ourselves but uh we both have trans friends and other friends in the general lgbt community who we love dearly yeah and you know i think it's really time to listen to them and just like shut up and listen to what other people have to say and uh it's not the right of anybody who has privilege to say what is or isn't offensive you have to listen to the other side absolutely So, did champions have you beaming with joy, or did you have trouble getting past the glaring problem? You better fucking remember Emma Frost and make it quick, folks, because we'll be right back after the commercial break. Hey, you may know by now that we here at Mutant Musings are doing a summer series of special episodes focusing on each of the X-Men cartoons, and with your help... We've picked three episodes from X-Men the Animated Series. We're not going to give away the milk for free, but one episode you helped pick is Night of the Sentinels. So kudos to you who picked it. But very soon, we're going to need your suggestions for X-Men Evolutions episodes. Start thinking about the best episodes now, and make sure you can get in touch with us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. We're kicking off our summer series with a special 50th episode next month, so stay tuned for more details. Hey, you! (laughs) Did you know that the internet is more than just a machine for porn? 
I don't look at porn on my... You save videos of naked women eating toenails, so I'm guessing you're a geek with no friends who stares at the screen all day. I sure am. Then check out geekade.com. Geekade is a website with articles, podcasts, and videos about lots of geeky topics. If you like comic books, video games, Transformers, Game of Thrones, horror movies, or anything else geeky, you'll find it on geekid.com. Okay, cool. But uh, but what about... Nope. No naked toenail eating on geekade.com. I, I was just gonna... Stop it. For everything geeky, check out geekade.com today. Okay, so for our mutant memories, we are gonna give a spotlight on... Wolfstain. Yeah. The first one that I wanted to point out before we get to some happier times, there is one page in particular in the miniseries Madrox from the mid-2000s, I want to say. Uh, 2005, I think. It's basically a scene where Wolfsbane is walking down the street of New York, and there's a couple of guys who are trying to make a pass at her. You see them on one panel, they're whistling. He says, slow down, give us a kiss. What, you never heard a wolf whistle? And she goes, I, I have. And she turns around and she's transformed into her wolf form and yells, have ye? And then they turn and run away screaming. And I just wanted to bring that up because it's like, you know, like the situation in Uncanny X-Men number 17 has happened before. And I it- can't believe that. Like, <laughs> And it ended quite differently. Okay, so I didn't mention this before, but I agree 100% with what you were saying about that it made no sense whatsoever for Wolverine to say, oh, that girl, excuse me, she fucking ate her dad. Like, <laughs> yes, she would fight back. Like, I don't know. For that whole, like, damsel in distress thing, especially in comic books where, you know, it isn't the same, like, physics as the real world. It's, you know, make-believe land. And, <laughs> you know, this girl is a wolf. She is much stronger than these normal humans. And for her to just let herself get beat to death, like, makes no sense. Uh, At some point during this beating, she should have just, like, gone, like, berserker mode. Like, we've seen her a few times, not exactly to the extent of Wolverine. Right. But something to, in in that, like, way of thinking. Like, she she does kind of, like, lose her shit after, you know, if she gets pissed off. And eat her dad. And eat her dad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and like, I don't know. I just thought that was completely asinine. That really kind of spoke to me about, you know, the writer maybe not necessarily knowing the character well enough or, or like, I don't know, he didn't do his research because when she first appeared and, and even throughout the entire run of uh, the first volume of New Mutants, she was, you know, this, like, paltry little girl who kind of, like, she kept to herself she was really shy. She was uptight. She was really religious. And, okay, maybe maybe that girl. But that's not who Wolfsbane was at this point in time. Right. And if all you know about Wolfsbane was what happened in Volume 1 of New Mutants, you know, that was, like, almost 30 years ago. I mean, it ended, like, 30 years ago. Yeah, almost 30 years ago. Yeah. yeah. No, I get, I get you. But I wanted to bring that up first because, again, you know, that's... That's literally like the, almost the same situation. Yes, she it was. was in. It was exactly the same situation. I sent that to you, and it was handled very differently. Handled very differently, and you know that's that's because of the the writer and the overall story that's that's happening. But what I wanted to touch on a little bit more of 
was happier times with with Rain. Some of that happened throughout New Mutants, particularly with Cat's Eye. Now, again, as Patty just said, you know, early in Wolfsbane's history, she was very religious. She was kind of shy. She doubted herself a lot. Also, she she there was a lot of self-loathing. There was a lot of that um, religious sort of guilt. And especially it worked for her being a mutant, like, oh, I'm a monster. You know, what I am is a sin. It's terrible. So there was a, there was a lot of that. But what I thought was interesting was how how happy and how accepted she was with Cat's Eye. And to me, I, I read a little bit more deep into their relationship, and we'll probably be talking about that a little bit too, but when I was trying to think back on some of the early appearances of Wolfsbane where she was happy, these are the things that, you know, came to my mind. And, you know, Cat's Eye and Wolfsbane meet in... So in New Mutants 17, you know, we're not going to talk about all of these issues, but... You know, obviously, the New Mutants, the Hellions, they fight. Uh, this is in the Massachusetts Academy. Shaw is there. Sebastian Shaw chokes Roberto until he passes out and just, like, throws him. And when the New Mutants are going to retreat, Wolfsbane takes Roberto in her mouth to carry him to the rest of the team. But then Cat's Eye kind of runs up and helps. And it's really cute. Uh, I hope everybody knows who Cat's Eye is. She was never a really prominent character, but hopefully you know who the Hellions are, and Cat's Eye was a staple throughout Hellions history. Even though she wasn't really the most detailed character, she was great. So she she likes being in her in her cat form. She prefers that. And she's purple. She normally has purple hair, and when she's in her cat form, she's she's purple. And she looks at, at Rain and says, you know, girl for a person like Cat's Eye? Smell funny, look not so pretty pretty, but maybe friends? And Rain just is like, the White Queen is evil, come with us. And Sharon is just like, no, I'm gonna stay happy place here. Or whatever, and they leave. But that's like where they meet. And just immediately, they they seem to have some sort of this w- different sort of connection than Wolfsbane would have had with somebody like Jetstream. I feel like on on one hand... That's true, but on the other hand, a lot of the characters were of the Hellions were supposed to be kind of like parallels to characters yeah. from oh, New Mutants. So like, you know, Jetstream and Cannonball, for example. Yeah. And obviously that's what was going on here with Cat's Eye and Rain. But but I, I agree. I always thought the relationship was really cute. And, you know, I wish that we could have seen more of that because, you know, the Hellions didn't really appear out of this series too much. Right. And then, you know, they died and then they came back for Necrotia and that was really awful. We've barely seen any of them. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that really stinks. And so Necrotia would have been like the perfect time for for them to be like, oh, yeah, they're back. But, you know, that would have thrown too big of a monkey wrench into anybody's any other writer's plans, because then how are you going to resolve that with Emma Frost and these Hellions being back? But yeah, no, no, no absolutely. You're, you're you're right. And so that's why. The next comic that we're talking about is another New Mutants issue, which is 39. And just a couple of pages in here. So the New Mutants were traumatized by the Beyonder, and with a little push from Empath, Magneto let the New Mutants join the Massachusetts Academy. And Wolfsbane and Cat's Eye slept in beds next to each other. And Rain woke up screaming in the middle of the night, and Sharon jumped to help her, but Rain punched her, like, across the room. And felt so bad. She ran over. She's on the ground apologizing profusely. Arms are around each other. 
And everybody from both the New Mutants and Hellions, like, run into the room, like, oh my god, what happened? But then Cat's Eye, then Cat's Eye invites Rain to come out and play in the snow. Run and howl and play, feel great soon, promise. But yeah, so, so that's really cute. Again, you know, Rain is, she's scared, middle of the night, wakes up from a nightmare, and immediately Cat's Eye wants to comfort her, and then they have this little bit of an embrace, and then, you know, let's get our mind off of it. Let's go run and play in the snow. And so they both transform and run out into the snow and go do that. And so, again, this is, you know, sort of like another... They're different from their teammates and the fact that they can transform into something different. They're both the same in that way. And so they're uniquely qualified to understand each other in this way. There's, there's you know, again, the parallel here for, for being trans... And there's also the homosexual parallel that this could be, too. Yeah, the whole, like, finding, you know, having, like, the one person that you can look up to who's, like, free and comfortable in their shoes and, like, oh, look at how much fun they're having and how great it is and, like, wouldn't it be awesome if I could have that freedom, too? But, like, because of my upbringing and because of who my dad is, like, you know, I can't be like that. I have right. to be the I'm good a, human all the time. Yeah, otherwise I'm a monster. Right, right. I have to right. repress this all the time. Whereas with Cat's Eye, she feels more free to be in this form and go run and play with her. Yeah, yeah. She she said that she hates being in her human form. And yeah. she only does it when Emma asks her. Yeah. And so, I don't know. That, that could be a metaphor for either, like, you know, we were saying... But then also that brings up the importance of having representation in our media because, you know, being able to see somebody like Cat's Eye say and seeing somebody who's like out and proud about who they are, you know, that can like really help some kids out there or even adults who are struggling with their identity. You know, like we've brought up in the past, Iceman didn't come out until he was an adult, and that that happens to that a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, like even Wanda Sykes, I think, was like an adult. She was yeah, married. she yeah. was she was old, and when she came out, and I just think that seeing somebody who's like so accepting of who they are, even and that's and that's hard, even in this day and age. You know, you think things would get better, and uh, they have to an extent, but not nearly as much as they should. Yeah. Because you look at some of the things that are, and I don't want to get too political, but you look at some of the things that are going on in the country now, uh, in the United States, it's directly affecting my fellow humans. Rights are being threatened. Rights are being taken away. The, the people who want to discriminate, they're being empowered. And that's scary because that's not right. We're talking about fellow human beings. Now, in the 80s, when this came, when the New Mutants came out, you know, Claremont, and I don't necessarily think that he meant for this to be this specific metaphor that oh we're talking god. about. Oh my god, Claremont had so many queer-coded characters. Yeah, and maybe he meant it, maybe he didn't hear. I but... have a theory that everybody that Chris Claremont has ever written is gay. Sorry, continue. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, this was in the mid-80s. Like, you, he, he wouldn't have been allowed to write them as openly gay or as you know trans it, it just it wouldn't have been able to to happen I, i'm just i read this this way i can find you know sort of like this encoded meaning here and and i don't think i'm i'm way off base but anyway so so the next one we're going to talk about is in new mutants 53 magneto takes the kids to a party at the hellfire club and 
Rain is like, I don't belong here. I want to go home. Then all of a sudden, from behind, somebody reaches their hands around and covers her eyes. And Rain turns around and is surprised. And it's Cat's Eye smiling. It was so cute. The smile on her face was so cute. And she's like, Cat's Eye. And so Sharon goes, feel heart good to see small red fur friend. Been forever since last romp. We go play by ourselves, yes? And Rain's like, won't we get in trouble? And Cat's Eye goes, only if caught. And then they transform and get out of their clothes. And I'm like, you are lesbians. <laughs> like, they, Cat's Eye literally chases at, like, this maid with a short skirt later in the issue. As, like, they get in trouble, you know? I'm like, you, you are trying to sniff up her panties. And I don't blame you. So I yeah that's uh, that's that's how I'm looking at that. Again, I could be wrong and I don't want to offend anybody, but you could read that here. You could you can see that. Yeah, no, I, I think I I agree. Like, I wouldn't have seen it if you didn't say anything. But no, I agree. And it's it's kind of weird because like every time that Rain sees her, even though it seems like, you know, they definitely have this like friendship and chemistry between them and stuff. It always seems like Rain is making this like apprehensive face whenever she sees Cat's eye. <laughs> really? And, yeah, yeah. Go back and like pay attention to that. I've noticed that. Like it seems like almost her facial expressions like she doesn't really want to hang out with her. I thought that was really weird. Well, because I think Cat's eye is so free from her inhibitions and Rain is not used to that. Rain is all just like, you know, trying to control herself again and repress herself you know what i mean and cat's eye is so free cat's eye is the one to say let's go play and rain is the one won't we get in trouble only if caught and it's not like cat's eye is like begging her or forcing her to go out and and play you know i mean she they they take off their clothes they transform and you know they engage in this relationship that they have and it's almost like it's Especially in this issue, like, forbidden and naughty. They go off by themselves to play, you know what I mean? Like, Sharon celebrates who she is, and Rain was apologetic and embarrassed and thought she was a monster. And so I feel like if there is apprehension in her face, and you're probably right, I feel like that's where it comes from. Yeah, no, that that makes total sense. All right, so the last... Issue of New Mutants we're going to talk about is number 57. This has nothing to do with Cat's Eye. I was just trying to think about a whole issue that just showed Rain happy. I, I, we, Patty and I have firstly talked about Bird Brain, Bird Boy before, and I know Patty hates him. I'm kind of ambivalent, but why I picked this issue was because of how happy Rain was throughout the entire fucking issue. And also... This issue of New Mutants was basically an 80s sitcom. Yes. And I fucking loved it. I really like this issue in particular, especially because it has two of my favorite panels of Ileana ever, <laughs> drawn by Brett Blevins, <laughs> the one where she's, you know, balancing the pencil above oh her God. lip, and then, you know, the other panel with the pencil. I, I just, just... Oh my God, I feel like... oh, They're so cute. She's... He's... He's like the only artist that gave her that kind of personality. I feel like she was kind of stale the way she was drawn, you know, and he he like finally like let her have fun. And she was always like so serious and so angry and whatever. And and now she gets to have fun. 
And this issue was fantastic. It was like kind of like Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, I mean, but it's like, you know, sort of like the New Mutants get a pet. Yeah. You know, the New Mutants and Hellions competed to catch a bird boy. And the New Mutants won. They got him, kept him in the danger room. And obviously, Magneto discovers him there. Bird Boy starts freaking out in the danger room and Rain jumps on him. And he's hungry, so Ilyana teleports a fridge into the danger room and Bird Boy just starts eating. And Rain is just like, the poor thing was starved. Isn't he smart? And Doug is like, smart? And it's cute because he's trying to eat the jar of pickles and Rain helps him. She twists off the cap and he's just downing the fucking jar of pickles. She's like, he is smart and beautiful. And Rain literally says to Magneto, can we keep him? I'm like, this is absolutely just a silly 80s sitcom where the kids are getting into shenanigans with like a wild puppy, you know, who's like, you know, going crazy. And of course, you know, the stern dad is like, oh, you kids, you kids, I don't know about this one. So I loved this issue. He's literally like a destructive pet in the house. Doug, you know, obviously has a crush on Rain and is trying and says like, I'll, I'll help you with your programming. And she's like, no. I'm going to go get Bird Boy settled back in the danger room. But then they, you know, cut to a little bit later. She ends up hanging out with him and bringing him around the school to where everyone is studying for midterms. And this is where it happens. This is where the tale of Ilyana and the pencil happens. (laughs) I fucking love the tale of Ilyana and the pencil. And it's told in two movements. One is when she's sitting upright and flicking it around between her upper lip and her nose. And then in the next panel, she is leaning back in the chair and balancing it, you know, just like defying gravity. And it's fucking amazing. So Rain asks Bird Boy to sit next to her, but instead he jumps up on the computer and tries to eat things on the screen. He's like a cat. He's literally yeah. like a cat. He thinks that they're bugs or something. And, <laughs> and this entire issue, you know, Doug is being this huge jerk. And, I mean, it's really sad because in a few issues, Doug is going to die. And what? <laughs> he scared me. And so this is this is one of the last times that we see Doug alive. And that's part what? of the reason. Doug? Yes. Doug? Douglas Ramsey? Yes. He died? Yes. What are you talking? <laughs> what are you talking? He's... He is a smart man. I know. He knows all the language. I know. And uh, so he's going to die in a few issues. And so so that's why I feel like it's really sad rereading this, knowing that he's going to die in a few issues. You know what's coming, and this issue is just him being a humongous jerk. Until the end. Until the end. But I agree. And so that's that's really upsetting. You know, he (laughs) keeps getting jealous of the bird and that rain is paying attention to the bird yeah, and, and, and he's out on it and she's like uh doug is like oh well you know he's an idiot he just squawks it's not even a language and not even trying to communicate because you know he resents him and doug is saying that he's a stupid bird brain and rain says no he's not and she gives him an apple yeah and then rain and bird brain well, Bird Boy, but he calls him Bird Brain for the first time. So Rain and Bird Brain go leave, and Eliana, Eliana calls him out on it. You wouldn't by any chance be jealous of old Bird Brain, would you? And so Bird Brain goes and hides in the danger room before they go check on him. And when they walk in, he, like, drops down from the ceiling, and Rain just, like, hugs his head and is like, oh, you great silly, you played a joke on us. 
And then the kids decide that they're going to go see a movie. Yeah, they decide to take him to the mall. What a great idea. So they get like an old sweater from Xavier and they got shoes from Beast and they have like a hat hat and sunglasses and a jacket so they can disguise him to go to the mall. So they go to this malt shop. He has a burger and he loves it. He ate Doug's burger. Yeah, yeah. After he ate the first burger and he loved it, he decided to take Doug's burger and eat that burger. And then... (laughs) After Ileana's taunting him about the milkshake, he loved that too. So he went over and grabbed Doug's milkshake. So Rain spilled it all over herself. And this got into like this huge, like almost food fight and arguing and people pushing each other and shit. And it was just ridiculous. And so Cannonball had to like leave a tip. (laughs) He had to like leave the table like that with the waitress fuming. Oh, yeah. So they decide that they're going to skip the movie, but they're going to go... And buy tickets and then just teleport there since it's dark. So, you know, they're playing the previews for the movie and there's this ad for burgers. And Birdbrain gets really excited and starts flying towards the screen. Cannonball has to go chasing after him. And it was it was just ridiculous. You know, Danny had to make it look like it was 3D effects and stuff for like some movie coming up. And... And then Oyana teleported them home. Yeah, and Magneto's like, I got a call from the, the malt, malt shop. shop. Anyone yeah. want to explain that? It was it was ridiculous, but it was it was really cute. And then Magneto threatens to give Bird Brain to some authorities. So after all of Rain's begging, Doug finally tries to talk to him. Yeah. And then they start squawking at each other and laughing, <laughs> and they hug. And Doug is like, Oh, maybe he isn't so stupid after all. Yeah. Like. He can, I can, I can speak to him. Finally, we get a little bit of redemption for Doug in this issue. And Rain is so happy. And then Bird Boy hugs both of them. And I just wish that this didn't end like it did. Because it is with this Bird Boy arc that Doug dies. Yeah. And it was just so upsetting. Yeah, it it, it was. I feel like like he played an important part in in this though because he was the one person who could have communicated with him all along. But yeah, he was, and he didn't even try. But he was being grumpy, you know. He yeah. was he was the grumpy one of them, and that just kind of helped Rain, even, like like try to cheer Bird Boy on even more and try to show him more affection. And it was really cute because you know I mean it led to more conflict in the book. But still, the whole time, she's happy, and she loves him, and she can't understand him, and he can't communicate with them, and it's all just very silly and a little slapstick, and I felt like that's where the heart of this was. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, this was, like, classic New Mutant story. It was fantastic. And then at the end, you know, Doug explains that Bird Boy was basically engineered. He was kept starved so that he would relate being good with food yeah so he thought that anytime that he was around food it was all for him and it was a reward and that's why he took doug's burger he didn't understand but the and, jar of pickles yeah the jar of pickles the was fucking cute, jar of pickles. yeah but like he didn't know any better they probably just threw food at him and was like okay that's yours <laughs> you know like i don't know it was it was cute yeah no it, at it least was. he was better than gossamer Ugh, whatever she she got the boobs no but but again i wanted to talk about this you know mostly because of how happy rain was this entire issue and how cute she was reacting to this new little pet that they got um it was really heartwarming it was really endearing and i really loved it and i don't feel like this issue would have been great 
if any other artist had done it. You know, this was Louise Simonson. She she did a great job writing this cute little story, and Blevins did an amazing job illustrating it. I I just want to say that I hope that this death with Wolfsbane isn't one of those that lasts for a long time. Maybe once Age of X-Men is over, some of the characters that died will be brought back immediately. Because um, it is. Like, everybody, there's, like, one death per issue. I mean, honestly, if it was between her and Guido, I would hope that Guido comes back. I mean, uh, Me too. Listen, I, I lo- I, I've had a, a lot of problems with Wolfsbane, but still, she deserved better than that. Guido's a great character, too. He had such issues in recent years, and to just kind of kill him like that and not even give him any recognition, I don't know. We still have a few issues left of Uncanny. We don't know what's going to happen right after Age of X-Men. We do know Hickman's going to be taking over, but the details. We don't know what's going to happen there yet. I hope some of this stuff is undone. It's it's a little ridiculous, and uh, how the characters are, are being killed off right now. I mean, I still like the story for the most part, but the problems in Uncanny are just piling up, and these deaths are unnecessary. Alright, so that'll do it for this episode of Mutant Musings. Thanks for joining us, and don't forget to leave us a comment on geekade.com. Leave us ratings and reviews on iTunes or anywhere else you find our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at mutant underscore musings underscore podcast, and on Twitter at mutant musings. What did you think of Wolfsbane's relationship with Cat's Eye? Do you think there was any deeper meaning there? Join us next time when we'll be discussing some new comics and some news. And until then... Wolfsbane was right. Yeah.